A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. all and welcome. This week we're talking about fashion innovation with Joe Mimran. Joe is one of Canada's most well-known and highly regarded creative visionaries, business entrepreneurs, and investors. With a lifelong commitment to fashion design and beauty, Joe has consistently been led by these passions to create iconic brands such as Club Monaco, Joe Fresh, and Alfred Sung. You may know him from his stint on the hit show Dragon's Den, where he was one of the infamous dragons being pitched to by new and innovative ventures each episode. He now serves as a chairman of a venture investment firm he co-founded, which supports the next generation of entrepreneurs. Of spirit of entrepreneurship, Joe understands and reflects the need for constant innovation in all industries, especially in fashion. Joe, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Elise. All those iconic brands, I was I was thrilled and so excited that you agreed to do this because, I mean, I think we need to start at where did the love from fashion start from? Where did that, where was the kind of the starting oh, point there? yes. Well, you know, it started as a very young boy. Um, my, my, uh, my background music was the Beatles in the 60s and the Rolling Stones, but it was also the sound of a, of a sewing machine that my that my mother was always at. She was a, a seamstress mm-hmm. and a couturier, and she worked during the day. Worked super hard. Worked during the day at Simpsons, which is an old line retailer. Um, and then she went on to uh, at night. She would have private clients that she would make these very very sort of fancy mother of the bride dresses and whatnot. And so there was always fabrics and there was always trim and buttons. And, um, and of course there was always uh, sewing needles also around that got caught in the carpet, but, uh, <laughs> hazard of the job. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I'd always be watching her drape fabrics and doing all that stuff. And, and it was really quite amazing at the age of, 11 or 12, I asked her to make me a houndstooth suit. uh, And I bought uh, heavy, thick glasses like I'm wearing today, which are now back, uh, have been for a while. And she would make me these clothes. And and I I always took a refined spin on it. And luckily, I was a tough kid. So, you know, going to school with a lumberjack 
a shirt made out of a French wool. <laughs> <laughs> You're most stylish, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to imagine this kid wearing, you know, corduroy bell bottoms with a yellow mohair sweater. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I always had a love for fashion, always had a love for the arts. <clears throat> and uh, later on in my, in you know, as I was, uh, I took I took fine arts in university <clears throat> and uh, sociology, fine arts. I took a course in Japanese cinema, and then I thought I better I better settle down I, and I better get a real degree. I got my uh, I became an, a chartered accountant, a CPA, a CA. And the minute I got it, I left the business and I left the uh, I left uh, the profession as soon as I got my degree. And I went into business with my mother and my uh, brother. And we were making we were making dresses. Uh, and at that time, the big style was the uh, wrap dress from okay, yeah. uh, Diane von Furstenberg. Yeah, TVF, yeah. And and so. Um, we started making dresses and then I realized very early on that it was really the brands or the retailers that were winning. It wasn't enough for you to just come in with a, a good style. You either had to have a brand or you had to have or you had to be one of the big retailers at the time. And so this was when women were coming back into the workforce as they were not coming back. They were going into the workforce. It was a very big deal. And so uh, we decided, well, we better, you know, get a brand. And so we went down to my brother and I went to New York. We we said, OK, there's two brands we're interested in getting that are sort of in the dress business. And one of them was Oscar de la Renta. Oh, really? So, okay. oh, yeah. So we, we went down. We met with uh, the president of Oscar de la Renta and Oscar was in the background when we were there. And because uh, you've got to remember, this is like 78, 79. Uh, yeah, they said, no problem. You know, we're happy to give you. We're happy to give you a license. We had talked to John Anthony. And at the time, everybody in Canada, that's what they did. They went to the States or they mm -hmm. went to Europe. They got a brand and they sold it in Canada. Mm -hmm. And that you didn't have to create anything. There were no fashion brands in Canada to speak of. And so uh, on the way back, uh, we were talking about it. We said, well, you know, and I'm re we're really young, right? We said, well, why don't we create our own brand? There's no reason to you know, pay the license, right. we'll have our own brand, and then we can be, uh, we can license it out. So in 79, we made a little list and we hired this woman. We said, look, we're going to make you famous. We're going to make you into a brand. I'd already bought all the fabrics and everything. And uh, and uh, within three months, she came back. She said, you know, I got a better offer. I'm leaving. I said, you sure you want to leave? I know we're going to make you famous. Oh, no, nope, I'm leaving. So, and I can't even remember her name. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of people in your history, right? It's hard to remember everyone's name. <laughs> exactly. And so go down the list. And uh, I remember seeing Alfred uh, Sung working in a little shop that he had on Scholard in a back room. And he had this little store. I thought, you know, he's that's a good work ethic. Uh, I'm going to call him up. I call him up and I said, look, why don't you come down? meet us. We're going to, we're going to make you famous. So <laughs> he came down, he was very kind of reluctant, you know, very reticent of, uh, of sort of, uh, garment, the garment business, but we were, again, we were naive. Uh, and we said, look, come on, let's do a season together. You'll see if you like it. Uh, I had already bought the fabrics, as I said, he designed into it. 
And uh, three, three years later, uh, three years later, he hit the cover of McLean's magazine here in Canada. And it was, he was heralded on the cover as the king of fashion. Wow. We had opened up, we had opened up Macy's and we had opened up uh, all of the major department stores in the States. We had opened an office in New York, a sales office, uh, right on, uh, right on seventh uh, Avenue and, yeah. and 36th beautiful space. And, uh, and we, I was going back and forth to New York and as was my, my brother, um, you know, we had a couple of other brands that we created at the same time. Um, uh, Deborah Kuchme was another one. It was a dress brand. Um, she was a local designer. Uh, and there was an, uh, uh, Robert, uh, not Robert, uh, 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 another brand, um, Kruger. And unfortunately, he had passed away from AIDS. Um, but, uh, you know, it was it was running through our veins and, and uh, we were building this business. And in 1984, I uh, I got this idea. I was in Japan looking, you know, had, I loved their white shirts and loved all they did in Japan. Very influenced by what was going on and uh, came back and said, look, I want to do this unisex line. Uh, we took I took three people from our team that was working on the Alfred Sung uh, business and some of the other businesses. And we created this product that we were so gung-ho on, right? It was slightly oversized, the perfect white shirt, the perfect t-shirt, the perfect sweatshirt. And we thought this is amazing, right? It's going to be fantastic. Uh, and, uh, and then we went to the department stores and we said, we've got this, we've got this amazing line for you. And because we were already doing well with department stores, we thought this would be easy. Yeah. So we went to the we went to the bay. We went to all these guys. And anyway, they all said we don't get it. Like we don't get it. And we had already ordered all these goods, so the goods were all coming. You were so ahead of the time, though. Now everyone yeah. would be like, "Yes, absolutely!" Uh, like unisex, basics. Yeah. Exactly right. So all these goods are coming, and uh, we had nowhere to put it. And we said, we better open up some stores or we're just never going to be able to, to sell the product. And um, so we, we, we went on to Queen Street at the time. There wasn't, if you would have seen the traffic count, it was like two people every, you know, three hours that walked by A little this old, hard, <laughs> old hardware store. And uh, because we wanted to open up a, a 5,000 square foot store with one thumbprint, one idea. And it just took on so much momentum in terms of being able to really creatively express ourselves with the product and uh, the presentation. Uh, we refused to use models. We refused to use mannequins uh, that were typical. We did everything because you remember at the time in 1984, Gap was called Generation Gap and they sold all types of other brands within their stores. They did not become vertically integrated until around 86, 87 when Mickey Drexler came on the scene. Okay. And and so um, it was very unique. And, you know, we were on pins and needles when we opened the first store. We had no idea what the response would be. And what was remarkable was there was, we got up the next morning, our grand opening, and there was a huge lineup to get into the store. It's very similar to what you see today when they do these limited yeah. uh, sneaker drops uh, launches and, yeah, yeah. and drops, right? 
and it did not stop every weekend. We had to have people sort of, you know, giving out water and drinks to keep people sort of entertained uh, in line. And we really had a hit on our hands and uh, we proceeded to open a store a month uh, for the next. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and then in, um, in 1990, I had somebody come to see me from Korea uh, who said, look, I, you know, I, I love Club Monaco. I used to live in Toronto. I'm now living in Korea. I'd love to talk to you about that. I said, sure, you know, come to the office next week or whatever. He said, well, you know, I'm leaving for Korea uh, on Monday. Can I see you at your home on the weekend? I said, oh, okay. And so he came to the house. I instantly liked him. Um, thought he was uh, very, very keen on fashion and, and quite aggressive uh, as a business person. And we did a deal and he then uh, opened 41 stores uh, in Korea. And uh, Club Monaco became the number two most recognized apparel brand uh, at the time wow. uh, within Korea. And that was that was a lot of fun. And he was a he was a character. You know, he had he had an ownership in a karaoke bar at that time in Seoul, Korea. There was about a thousand people that kind of controlled everything. And it was very concentrated. Uh, And they had just come out of uh, big, big changes in Korea. I mean, really embracing uh, consumerism, uh, because in the mid 80s, when I would go there to manufacture you know, you, you wouldn't see a billboard. You wouldn't see, I mean, Korea today, Seoul today, compared to where it was, it's like you just, you can't even imagine the difference mm-hmm. and how advanced they are today. Um, and so it was a really, it was an amazing time. Uh, you know, it was an amazing run. Then we opened in Japan. Uh, we then opened in New York, uh, which was kind of our, our big uh, debut was on, uh, Fifth Avenue at uh, by the Flatiron District. That was our first store. Okay, and yeah. We, we we opened a ten thousand square foot store, and uh, I remember our uh, accountant came to see me and said, "You know, Joe, this store is going to be a third of our entire rent of our entire fleet." Right? It was that. I said, "Don't <laughs> worry, don't worry. It, it's going to work. It better work." Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, and it did. It was. Uh, it worked. It worked. Yeah, we we then opened uh, I think six, seven stores in uh, in New York, and it, it was it was a terrific run. And you know, we had done all kinds of super interesting things with the brand, and uh, our marketing was was just amazing. The black and white photography that we had introduced. Uh, we have iconic shots that even to this day. Uh, resonate and are in many of the stores that we we took. We used the world's best photographers from Dick Avedon to, you know. The brand, but also the product and the quality. Like until very recently, I still had my like Club Monaco sweatpants and sweatshirt for like probably 20 years ago now, right? Like when I'm just thinking back. So like 
yeah, it was all those elements that you just, and the, the interesting, I think about you, Joe, is like, you didn't just nail them once, but you nailed them like almost four times at this point. Right. Like, what are we right. at? Maybe even more. I don't know. But like, that's so, it's so crazy to me. So then, sorry, club, I'm interrupting your story, but I just had to interject. No, no. That because oh, please. I think it's absolutely the brand, but it was, it was the product too of, of any of your lines that I think of. Right. I, I, everything centers around the product at the end of the day. And when you build from a place of integrity, uh, when it comes to product, then everything flows so much easier, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. First of all, the people that come on board, the people that join you, the people that uh, become uh, uh, flag bearers for the brand, the storytelling, uh, everything comes from an authentic place. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything comes from... Uh, this place where you, you you know you're not doing it because you you know you want to make a, a commercial success because obviously everybody wants to make commercial success you're you're doing it because you love the product you love the excitement and the joy that great products bring mm-hmm. um, this integrity uh, of viewpoint. Um, and that's lost on a lot of people. It's lost on a lot of people. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to another uh, a brand that we're, we just got involved in in a much heavier way recently. And I, and I, I can talk to you about that as well, because I think that's, I think that's going to, I think that will really sort of highlight it even, even more dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was it all was because what I think is really interesting is you had this accounting background because not often do you see like a creative right and left side of the brain working together, which I would have is pretty unique yeah. to you, I would say, maybe at least in the conversations yeah. that I've had. Yeah, I think I think you have to have the financial side in this industry. It's such a tough industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the numbers get big, the the challenges uh, you know, get big. Um, and if you don't have the financial side, I think you're really in trouble. So you either have to partner with somebody, uh, that has that. There's a lot of different skills that are required for these businesses to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just one skill set. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that part's really, really important. And then of course, you know, it was really gratifying when, uh, Kim and I, my wife, uh, we're in uh, we were in Saint Martin, and I and I got a call from the vice chairman. First, I got a call from Irv Teitelbaum, who was the, the founder of uh, La Senza and Susie Shear, and, and he said, "Look, Joe, um, uh, I have somebody who's called me who wants to get in touch with you from Goldman Sachs or something." I said, "Well, sure, you know, give him my number. I'm here in Saint Martin." I got a call from uh, I got a call from the vice chairman of uh, Polo. And he calls me up and he says, uh, hi, this is uh, Michael from uh, from Ralph Lauren, blah, blah. Love what you're doing. I think you're doing such a great job here in New York. This is 1999. Uh, love what you're doing in New York. Um, I'd, I'd love to get together. And I said, I said, sure, sure. I'm back in New York on, I think it was like back in New York in January or something. He said, no, no, no. I'd like to get together sooner. I said, well, I'm in St. Martin 
you know, so uh, he said, well, when are you back in Toronto? I'll fly up to meet you. Now, this is a vice chairman of, of, of Polo Ralph Lauren, who uh, has a obviously busy had, schedule, too, right? <laughs> uh, and also I had, you know, great admiration for the brand. Uh, I think, um, you know, they were at one point, I would think, you know, sort of the masters of brand uh, brand and product and consistency around the world that emanated from the U.S. and so it was it was uh, it was very very uh, exciting when they called. We were a public company at the time, and so uh, we met. and I knew right away that at that point that what their interest level was, and it was very interesting. Ralph had never stepped out of his own brand okay. to buy something, okay. so that's why it really didn't dawn on me at all. Right. That this is was going to be their interest was to buy uh, was to buy the company. So, yeah, because yeah, they had diversified with all their different lines, too, and everything. Right. So, OK, that was interesting. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize you were the yeah. first one. OK. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, yeah, I know they had never they had never stepped outside their own brand, um, and and so um, you know we 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 met obviously and uh, and then as a public company we had to set up our special committee and uh, and then we struck a deal and uh, sold the business. So that was that was history. Yeah, what an like crazy story. And how many years after that? That was that was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, so so uh, 1999, 2000, hung around there. Uh, I realized I, you know, they kept me on uh, 
uh, as an employee. I wasn't a good employee. Uh, I realized that. And so, and, you know, I had some money in my jean pocket. So, you know, it was, uh, tried to figure out what to do. Did tried, uh, I did nothing for a bit, tried retiring for a couple months that didn't really didn't suit me at all. <laughs> and then, uh, I actually met with a few people to try and, you know, do a business. I, I one funny story. I met with Chip Wilson, who at that time had uh, he had uh, Lululemon, just started Lululemon, which I loved at the time. And I met with him for lunch at Four Seasons in Toronto. I said, hey, Chip, you know, I, I, I just made a sale. Uh, it would be great. Uh, you know, I can help. Uh, one and I buy into the business. We'll be partners, one thing or another. He said, no problem. Thirty million dollars. I said, $30 million. I said, Chip, you only have two stores, right? <laughs> <laughs> he he was right. He underpriced it. <laughs> Can we go back and get that deal from Chip? Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was, uh, it was funny. And then, you know, did some consulting for a few people. And then I was at a father-daughter dance uh, at, uh, at Branksome. And, and I was sitting on the couch and beside me was John Letterer, who was the, uh, he was the CEO of Loblaws at the time. Okay. And uh, he said to me, Joe, what are you doing now? Because we had met, because we had opened up Caban in a couple of their spaces. And I don't know, uh, I can talk about Caban as well. I don't know if you know Caban or the, the origins of Caban. Yeah, Caban no, was an interior yeah, store. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Caban was a was a concept that we came up with uh, as part of Club Bonico. And it was uh, home interiors. It was 20,000 square foot locations okay. that had a um, lifestyle store. Okay. So we did everything from tabletop to gardening to uh, clothes. Uh, and of all the concepts that I've created, I get more comments about people missing Caban than really? almost any oh yeah it's unbelievable i it's need to google this oh i don't know if i remember that yeah, that's yeah, so yeah, interesting yeah, yeah, okay yeah. and so yeah. then that and led so, into the lot loss conversation then well that led into the he said well you know what are you doing now i said well you know i'm just doing a little consulting he said can you design some uh a couple of can you design 25 home products for president's choice i said yeah i said yeah i can do that in my sleep that's no problem <laughs> So uh, he, he arranged a meeting. I met with uh, Galen Weston Sr. at the time. We got together. He was a lover of Caban. He and Hillary were a lover of Caban. And, uh, and then we struck a deal. I started doing designing home products for them. And then they said, well, you know, can you create a line for us of apparel that will compete with uh, Walmart? And I said, yeah, I think I can do that. Uh, but I really would like creative control. Uh, in order to be able to do that. And, and, and hence Joe Fresh was born mm -hmm. uh, in 2000 and 2004, 2005 was when we sort of uh, created the, the template for that as I was doing home products for them. And people thought I had lost my mind. You know, you're doing clothing in a food store what it what sounds are you doing? it does sound Joe, crazy yeah it does sound right? crazy what do you yeah well within within five years uh it became the number one apparel brand in both units and dollars in canada well i remember living in new york i think when you open when those new york doors open as standalone stores and yeah. i mean 
I just can't think of another example where a brand would have started in a grocery store and then also be on Madison big, Avenue. Big, like I yeah, remember exactly. explaining it to my friends in New York. I was like, oh no, no, you don't understand. Like in Canada, you can buy this at the grocery store and it like blew their <laughs> mind. Right. So I don't, I don't yeah, know. Is there, there's no yeah. one else that's done that, that I can think of. It was kind yeah. of a unique situation. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I think it was cool. I think at the time to, um, you know, this idea of, um, high, low mm-hmm. and reverse chic. Mm-hmm. And we opened uh, we opened a freestanding store at the Loblaws at uh, in the Forest Hill area, and I that was the one I would always visit and, and on a regular basis because I lived so close by, and I always found it really fascinating that you had two stratas. You know, you had sort of some of the uh, people, the nannies uh, coming and shopping, and then you had the you know the girls with the the Prada bags coming and shopping for their, for their basics and mm-hmm. things. And it was, uh, it was great. And again, it was all based on integrity. It was based on what can I do to offer a quality product that is totally unexpected for that price range. Right. And that was really the, the essence of that brand and to do them always in delicious colors. And, um, and so very, very excited about that. And then, you know, five years ago now, uh, retired from that, ended my, ended all my agreements and thought I was going to, again, thought I was going to kick back. Uh, Seems to be a cycle a, here. You know, <laughs> did a TV, did a TV show for three seasons, uh, which was, which was super, super, super fun. Yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, now I'm, I'm right back right back in it. Yeah. Right tell us a little, it. tell us a little bit about gray matter. Cause I feel also like the perfect time of home office design, like all this intersection, but how did it come about? Yeah. So I, I started uh, doing, uh, cons- I, I've been doing consulting work. I consulted to Kroger in the United States, um, which is the largest food store in, in, in the world. Um, and they, they asked me to come and help them with their private brand. So I, we created a private brand for them uh, within their, within their uh, footprint uh, of stores. And uh, at the same time, I got called by Staples in the U.S. and Canada to help them with product development and design. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got involved and I saw sort of what, what the offering was um, and all these new brands that they were creating, I asked if they would be interested in having one that was uh, under my uh, or over my signature and uh, they agreed to it and so now we create uh, products for uh, we create products for staples across Canada and the United States and it really is uh, it really is about how do you bring an aesthetic to what has been uh, I would say pretty mundane product in the in the big box office supply mm-hmm. uh, area, mm-hmm. but it also coincided with Staples whole repositioning as a work life, as a work learning uh, company and, um, and the great leadership that was shown by both the venture capitalist, uh, which is Sycamore Capital out of New York, uh, who have uh, a really wonderful holdings in the retail space in the United States. And uh, and again, the great leadership uh, of John Letter, who's the executive chair there, 
And now they've uh, brought in some great people from uh, some a few ex Loblaws people like David Boone, who's the president in Canada. Okay. Uh, so and Mike Motts, who was at, uh, heading up uh, Shoppers Drug Marts, now heading up Staples U.S. So all these great people and and they really, uh, you know, they appreciate uh, merchandising. They appreciate uh, great product design. And so we designed everything from uh, reading glasses, yep. which I think I have a pair of the blue uh, lens. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's great with the blue lens and and but but also just an aesthetic to it that uh, is a little different than what you would normally see at many of these uh, on many of these rounders. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we how do we bring that that modernity? How do we bring that that aesthetic and that real? Uh, quiet uh, kind of luxury at an affordable price point. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly now where people are working from home, um, you know, sort of feathering your nest, whether it be your, uh, you know, whether it be for your, uh, for your uh, living room, dining room, kitchen, bedroom, that's all on fire. But also this idea of the office space, this work living space, has really been uh, ignored for the most part. You know, I, I still go on, I still go on Zoom meetings, you know, and I see people, you know, they don't have their phone on a proper stand. Yeah. They've got the, the angle is probably the most, uh, the most unappealing angle yeah. that you could, you could imagine, right? Like uh, they don't have a, they don't have proper lighting. They yeah. don't have a, you know, a good backdrop. Uh, um And I do think that uh, helping people be more productive in their spaces today is something that I love to, you know, love to be working on. But also just the aesthetic again, you know, whether it's a notebook, whether it's uh, uh, an office chair, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we just we we touch so many categories. There's so many categories. yeah. Yeah. And what strikes me is I think you use the word quiet luxury. And that's when you said that, I'm like, that's kind of true of a lot of your brands in a way, right? Like, is that fair to yeah, say? Like yeah. understated, but still like- Yes, and yeah, I'm very understated, but also um, somewhat minimal. It's yeah. it's never about over embellishment or a mm-hmm. million prints or a million, you know, if you hit up shower curtains, for example, you will see uh, Google will have like 20 million images of shower curtains. But try and find one that you like. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard, right? Because it's got, you know, one's got this on it and the other one's got that on it. But you know, it's it's how do you how do you bring just good clean taste mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. to the marketplace mm-hmm. and and for it to resonate in a commercial way? And uh that's I think I think that's the trick because it's no good designing things that only you like. It's no good designing things that people don't take home with them. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's about having that aesthetic, but at the same time, having it very appealing. I think Ikea, for example, does an amazing job. Yeah, at that, right. Agreed. Well, and you're you we kind of touched on the fact that like because you have that business brain, recognizing that there has to be like a commercial appeal, right, to make that money, too. hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. This is what I I always tell people, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, just if you're going to fall in love with your idea, make sure that there's a customer for it, yeah. uh, because you know, I have seen the funniest things where people just, you know, they just will 
fall in love with a product. They spend years and years on trying to get it to market and they're convinced it's the right thing. And they don't, you know, they don't really check back to see whether there's a market for it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's always my first advice. And I know on on Dragon's Den and, you know, having your own venture investment firm now, like what are the characteristics that you look for in someone that's starting their own business? So the, is it when you're looking at that entrepreneur and you're looking at that business, is it more on who that person is and their passion? Is it more on the idea? What do you kind of look for when you're looking where to invest? Yeah, I think for for me, it's, it's really about if you're going to let the entrepreneur really run the business, then you better make sure that entrepreneur is great because honestly, nine times out of 10, it's about the entrepreneur. They will pivot. They will find a way to succeed. I'll give you an example. I had a gal come to me uh, about three and a half years ago now, maybe four. I I think it's about three and a half. And she said to me, Joe, please, I, I want your advice and I'd like you to get involved in my business. I said, well, what are you working on? She said, uh, indestructible pantyhose. I said, OK, well, show it to me. She shows me this thing. I'm at the Soho house and she shows it to me. And I said, this is terrible. She said, I know, I know, I, you know I'm working on samples. I got to get it better. But I really want you on my advisory board. You know, it'll go a long way in, in uh, for my for the credibility of the concept. I said, well, I really I can't do it. I just the sample's too bad. She calls me up two months later. I want you to see another sample. I'm looking at the sample. I'm saying it's still not good. But I'm telling you, she was so tenacious mm-hmm. and she was so good. She had come out of two successful uh, she had two successful exits. But on the tech side, had she had no experience at all on textiles, yarns, fashion, nothing. And I was so impressed by her. I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to invest a little money here. I'll go on the advisory board, one thing and another. And she has just uh, gone out uh, recently. She's done a raise of 25 million US dollars. She's uh, uh, she's she's you know, she's incredible. She's uh, opened her own facility in Montreal. She was in northern Ontario with a facility, found that she could buy one. Yeah, she could buy a facility in Montreal that was all set up. She went and did this. She found the yarn from a fishing line maker. I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, really remarkable. And this this woman will go on to, uh, I think, uh, I think she'll go on to be super successful. The product is sheer text. I was going to say, interested. I was going to ask, because I've heard, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great yeah. success so far then. Yeah. Yeah. And a great yeah. idea, yeah. So, right? A great idea yeah, to begin with. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Great idea. Great idea. Now, hard to execute, but uh, she was able to do it. And so I do think uh, I do think I bet on the jockey more than the horse at this okay. point. Yeah, fair enough. And and I would. Yeah. And I would I would continue to think about it that way. But, you know, coming back to sort of design and and, and the love of design, we, we bought a company. Uh, Tilly Tilly and Durables, which is a hat company, and um, it's a it's a very famous Canadian hat company that sells hats and very uh, traditional hats in Canada, U.S., the U.K. Um, and they've been around since uh, he designed Tilly uh, himself. Alex Tilly designed the first hat in 1980. It's a bucket. It was a bucket hat yeah, that okay. wouldn't fly off when you were sailing. He was a right. sailor. Anyway, uh, we recently, uh, we bought the company 
and uh, we had professional management in there. And uh, and then about six months ago, seven months ago, I decided I better jump in because we just weren't moving quick enough. We weren't developing the product quick enough. And we've just now beefed up, uh, we've beefed up all of our product development design. And this is the difference that I wanted to get to. Product integrity, product innovation, product design, you know, they had one person working on it. Um, we now have, you know, 10 people working on it. Uh, and they're working on it both here and in, 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 in Vancouver and in Germany. And, uh, and, and we have now uh, relationships that we're forming for collaborators. And we've just launched the new website uh, at Tilly's. Uh, and if you just take a look over the next 12 months to 24 months of how this company will evolve, and how it will grow. And it's growing now at a, a fantastic pace um, and so exciting to see. Um, and I think, again, that's the passion you need mm. in order to get to and get the product going. And so we reintroduced that bucket hat, okay. but now we've reintroduced it in. Well, imagine they had this bucket hat and they never did anything with it. And this bucket hat is like, you know, it's the hottest thing in accessory. I mean, right. everybody's got a bucket hat going, right? right? Yeah. And every, they didn't right. do anything, they didn't they didn't do anything with it. So we call it it's the remaster T1. So it's the first okay, hat cool. ever. The remaster T1. We offered in a load of colors. Um, and it's so cute. Um, and uh it's now it's now our number our number one hat in uh in a very short period of time very online. Cool. So yeah, very so very cool. excited about that. You were you were the, I mean, yes, a designer created, but a brand builder. Like you, you can tell that you love yeah. putting pieces together. Is that fair to say? Like, yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and not just pieces, because it 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 it's about the people as well. I was going to say about, like building the team, right? Building can you talk the a teams. little bit about that? Like what's in what you, whether it's what you look for in a team or maybe what, you know, the first hire you had, I guess, in a team, like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I think the way I look at it, it's, um, you know, a lot of people have a role that they want to fill. Mm -hmm. I do it the opposite. I, I find people and then I put them into a role. I create a role. Uh, it doesn't always work. Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird way of working, but there are many times where I'll meet somebody, I'll interview somebody, I've worked with somebody, and I love their attitude. I love their aesthetic. Uh, case in point, uh, I work with a person who's who's uh, helping uh, running the gray matter business, and and uh, he he runs it, and he's been working with me for years. Worked at Caban. Um, and he was an editor, he was an editor at a magazine for in New York for many years, oh, right? Cool. That was where he came from. Yeah. He wasn't from the retail industry at all. Uh -huh. Um, and, and, um, and so, you know, I do think you have to, uh, identify a talent and then you've got to use that talent correctly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I am very fortunate uh, to have met lots of creative people uh, throughout my career. Um, and I also think when you respect that creative talent and you let that creative talent really uh, blossom mm -hmm. and you give them the challenge to, to 
develop mm-hmm. and to be part of a concept, uh, then they, you know, they contribute. You know, I, 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 I love when people contribute. It's not, it's not autocratic. It's not, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, it may sound a little top down and yeah, people would want my input on, on almost everything, but uh, it's, it's still very much, they're part of uh, the success of whatever we build. I like that you say that because that's actually how I build out the team at Style as well is it's based on the people, not the roles. And I I think that that's really important. So I know we don't have you for too much more time, but I did want to get your take on, I think you're the perfect person to just talk about in general, the future of fashion. So, you know, that can cover everything from sustainability to digital commerce, fashion shows, like where do you, what trends are you seeing? Where do you see things going? It's a big question, but I figure you're the person to answer. No, it's a, it's a, it's a huge question. I think that uh, one thing has been very consistent throughout my entire career is that fashion continuously, not not the fashion style, but fashion as a business has continuously evolved Mm -hmm. and has continuously changed. Whatever you think you've got it nailed, something comes to disrupt it. So Woolworths was disrupted. And and if they could have hung on long enough, they could have become the five and they could have been the Dollarama of today. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the five and dime. They never made they never made the jump. So what's old is new mm-hmm. uh, as well. But there is no question that the digital transformation has made it extremely different in terms of these changes. But there's always something. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, today it's digital transformation. Tomorrow it'll be something else. Um, And really, it's a reflection of society. What people don't realize is that fashion is sociology. It's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's all it is. You know, people, oh, Lululemon is such a big success. Well, guess what? People have been exercising more. They've been taking on new, uh, you know, they've been, everybody's doing yoga, whatever. That's a that's a societal shift. That's not a fashion shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, fashion yeah. is usually it's it, it it is a reflection of what's going on. So, for example, today everybody's very concerned about uh, you know greener world uh, sustainability is at the top of everybody's mind. It is a constant topic of conversation, and I do think that that you have to build that in. That's going to be tables, really table stakes going forward. Right. I think doing good. I think doing good through purchasing. It's going to be table stakes. I think. Uh, I think all these things are table stakes. At the end of the day, you still have to make beautiful product that people want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You still have to understand what your consumer wants. You have to have a a, a real voice that resonates. You have to have an infrastructure that can support it and deal with it. Um, So, you know, and like we're launching a a new baby toddler line, uh, which we're so excited about. Um, It's called Rise Little Earthling. And it's about it's about creating these uh, the, the, the future generation. Right. And and we've created a bunch of characters around the brand that are all social justice warriors and they all have their own personality. That's so uh, cool. We have. Yeah, we have been we've been uh, we you know, we, we've been uh, creating podcasts uh, of affirmations so that, you know, we we ensure that kids grow up with a, a really good view of themselves and we help parents in that way. It's about community building. 
Um, it's all of these things that are so relevant in mm-hmm. today's day and age. As you're uh, saying those things, I, I'm like, wow, you really thought of everything, <laughs> affirmations, community yeah. building. Yeah. 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 Well, because it's all important. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the, and that's, and that's the, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. But, you know, I, I do want to tell you a story because uh, I understand you worked for Oscar de la Renta. Yeah. And so, uh, many years later, um, I was uh, I was with uh, we were with the Westons again, and uh, we were in and we were in uh, the Dominican Republic, and we went for dinner, and uh, sitting at the dinner table was uh, Kim and I. It was Oscar and his wife, mm-hmm. and it was Julio Iglesias and his wife. Oh, cool! And uh, at the time, Oscar had just uh, come out of had just come out of the hospital, and uh, Julio was so enamored with the fact that his one of his best friends uh, was well again that he started singing. There was a guitar player there, and and the two of them sang. And uh, yeah. they, we sang and we joined in as best we could, obviously. <laughs> and uh, and it was an hour of just uh, song and joy. And uh, and when I thought about that, I thought about, well, imagine where I started from and where I ended up. And you think about the time of going back to uh, yeah. what time of when I went to New York to try and get that brand and in the end. Uh, so crazy. Yeah. Wonderful memory. What a full circle. Oh, gosh. I mean, what a life. Are you you writing a book anytime soon? (laughs) No. Well, I did have a book deal, but then I realized uh, I realized afterwards I'm I wouldn't want to see that book with a markdown sticker on the cover. (laughs) So I decided I decided I got to wait. I have a few more chapters. I I still have to uh, I have to create before it's before we get into that. It sounds yeah. like, is there, I mean, you have so much else on the go. It's so exciting yeah. to see what you're doing next and, you know, exciting to follow along. And I, I mean, I'm always impressed by, I was always impressed by the stories of you and, and, you know, knowing your career path, but just speaking to you, you have such a nice energy as well. And I'm so thankful that you took the time appreciate to speak with that. us today. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.